Okay, good morning. Why don't we uh, stand and read the Word of God? And again, just because of my voice, I've asked someone else to read. I ended up not feeling, a, not feeling 100% again, so just, uh, I'm battling these on and off colds. So uh, Blake's been kind enough to read the passage for me. So John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And we're going to start at verse 15 and read to 26. So John 14 verse 15 through to 26. So feel free, Blake, whenever you're ready. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and yet a little while and the world will see no more, but you will see me, because I live and also will live. You also live. In the day you will know that I am the Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments keeps them. He it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by the Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, he will keep my word and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, and the Father's who sent me. These things have I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Next week. Let's pray to the church. God, uh, this uh, prayer of mine will be fitting based on the passage, but I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would help me to uh, bring all the things to my mind uh, that you have taught me from your word, and uh, more importantly, the, the implications and applications to our lives. And I pray, God, that as we learn about your Holy Spirit and the role that you uh, gave him in our in our lives, as well as the disciples, will be something that will be of encouragement to us and um, just appreciate you more and love you more for what you did on the cross. We are looking forward to our time together and as always uh, want to be uh, encouraged, strengthened and filled with your spirit so that we will go out this week uh, refreshed and renewed and with a sense of purpose as a follower of you. So we look forward to our time together and in Christ's name. Amen. Well, you remember that the, the events of chapter 14 so far have occurred on the night of the Last Supper uh, during the time of Passover in Jerusalem. And this whole week for the disciples had been quite emotional for them and they were quite troubled. Um, you know, they, they, Jesus had told them, of course, that one of them was going to deny them three times. One was going to betray them, betray him. 
And worst of all, he's been up front with them saying that he was going to die and, and abandon and leave, these people, uh, leave them. So you can see the disciples were in turmoil because they loved Jesus and they naturally feared this abandonment and this loss of uh, ministry experience they had with him for three years. So from their point of view, you could see that uh, they would have had this fear that his departure would have meant a cease to everything they'd experienced with Jesus. That would be one of the fears. If you're in a relationship with someone and you're losing them, you're afraid of all the emotional and, and physical manifestations you've had with that person. You don't want to lose that because you, you'll, you'll miss them. Well, Jesus knew this was an issue for the disciples, and that's why he wanted to provide them with reassurance. And we saw that in previous sermons, he, he provided them reassurance that even though he was departing, it was necessary. He was going to prepare a place for them in heaven. Not only that, they'd see him again because he was going to come back for them and escort them to heaven. And then we saw in the previous week's sermon that he even promised them greater works. That, you know, um, even though I'm gone, uh, you're still going to carry on in, in ministry like, like we've always had, but to a greater extent. The gospel will be proclaimed throughout the world. And uh, just because I'm gone, that doesn't have to stop. But there was one more extremely important promise that he was going to give them that was unbeknownst to them. Um, he had another surprise. And that was that he was not going to leave them without power or without guidance to continue in the mission they started with him. And the reason was they were going to be given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but I know for me, the role of the Holy Spirit amongst Christian circles in terms of who he is and what he does and how he leads us in our lives can be quite controversial. And depending on what denomination you go to and, or belong to or what church you belong to, you're going to get quite varied teachings on who the Holy Spirit is and what his role is within the Christian community. Uh, my goal today, as always, is to present you with the truth as stated in Scripture. Um, you know, uh, I know every pastor believes that they're doing that <laughs> when they sit up here or set up another church, but I honestly think that I'm going to do the best I can to stick with the text and, and not put my own thoughts and own biases into this. Um, I will be truthful, though. I still have a lot of questions, and as I was studying this week, I'd read a verse, study, write a question down. Read a verse, study, write a question down. Just like the Brian group things we do, I have a question box. So I'm coming into this a little bit hesitant because I don't have, there's some questions I would like answered further, but I just didn't have time to answer them. Um, but again, we can handle those in the dialogue, and if I don't uh, feel comfortable with certain answers, we can, I can always spend this week looking into it and, and coming back to you next week. So anyway, I mean, with that being said, though, there's, uh, there's absolute truths within this passage that can't be denied. And um, again, uh, one more precautionary note. Uh, today's not going to be exhaustive on the Holy Spirit. In chapters 14, 15, and 16, Jesus teaches on the role of the Holy Spirit. So I'm not, you might say to me, well, what about this and what about that? I'll say, yeah, those are true things, but they're coming later. They're coming in the next few weeks. My goal is just to present you chapter 14 and the truths that are proclaimed in there, okay? So this will not be exhaustive because it's impossible to hit three chapters in one sermon. So what I've done is, uh, instead of doing all the, 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 the verses sort of uh, uh, word by word and verse by verse, I'm going to do them by giving you the lessons up front and then using the verses to fill in the gaps for the lessons. So this will not necessarily be a sequential ordered sermon, but I'm going to pull from these from 15 to 26 and give you all the teaching um, to fill in the lessons and whatnot. 
So the fir- I'm going to give you four points, four lessons that you need to know about the Holy Spirit. And the first one that was this. The Holy Spirit is given only to those who love Jesus. The Holy Spirit is given only to those who love Jesus. Look at this in verse 15 through 17. Or sorry, 16 through 17. Let me just pull, turn my book here. All right, it's 15, sorry. 15 through 17. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, and he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth. Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit was for those who loved him. You see that? He says, if you love me, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and then I will ask, the Holy, I will ask for the helper to come to you. I'll ask God to send the, the, the Spirit. So again, there's this idea that the, the, the prayer of Jesus to send the Holy Spirit is linked to loving him by following his commandments. It's interesting that Jesus then defines how one is to love him, right? He could have said, if you love me, you will do this or do that, or you'll think this way or think that way. He actually makes it very clear to love him is to obey his commands. So from Jesus' point of view, the marker of a genuine faith or a genuine relationship is this idea of of obedience to his commandments. And it's those who obey his commandments and those who show love in that way that the promise of the Holy Spirit will come. If you love him in that way by showing obedience, he will send the Holy Spirit to you. That's what he's promising the disciples and that's what he's promising us. Now this idea of genuine uh, love being reflected in obedience is so prevalent in this passage, it's repeated four times by Jesus. Okay, we've read it in 15. Just flip to verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Look at verse 23. Jesus answered and said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make her abode with him. Look at 24. He says it in the reverse, in the negative, but the same principle. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So important is this idea that genuine relationship with him is reflected by obedience to his commands. He repeats it four times in these verses. Why do I say this? Well, there's a few implications for us in this way. But it's pretty clear from Jesus' point of view that a marker of genuine Christian faith is loving obedience. And that's why in the verse 17, he actually states that's why the world can't, re- um, can't receive the Holy Spirit. It's not because they're predestined not to receive the Spirit. It's because they genuinely don't care about uh, God's love or uh, obeying God's commandments. They actually um, take their cues from Satan uh, in, in the world and not from God. So clearly here, the Holy Spirit only lives in an atmosphere of obedience, atmosphere of obedience to the love of Christ. It's interesting, I was, uh, Delaine was just about to leave to go to Australia for her mission trip, and uh, she said she'd been going to this, uh, this uh, sort of evangelistic service that occurs on Monday nights at this specific church in Calgary, and she was saying to me, um, I was hearing so and so and she said, man, that guy sure had a lot of faith. You could tell he really was like, had a great relationship with Jesus. And I said, how do you know? And she, and she looked at me kind of with a blank stare and she goes, I, I actually don't know. 
I said, well, you made the statement that you could tell he has a lot of faith. So I said, what was your marker of being able to tell me a lot of faith? Is it because he sounded good from the front? And she's like, I guess so. I said, I said, can I show you what actually Jesus says is a marker of genuine faith? And so I actually didn't even use this passage. I took her to Hebrews 11. Because Hebrews 11, every single reference to the people who have faith is it's, it's, it's reflected in action in response to God's word. So God speaks, they trust him, and they obey. God speaks, they trust him, and they obey. All the Old Testament saints, Abraham did, Moses did, Noah did, and all of these people did. And after the whole thing, she was very uh, grateful for the, for, the, for, the, for the walkthrough we did because after the hour had done, she now recognized that the way to determine if someone has genuine faith or is in right relationship with Jesus is by how they respond in obedience to him in terms of the way they live their lives. But here's the implication for us. If genuine love for Jesus is expressed by obedience to his commands, it's probably important that we know what his commands are. <laughs> okay? Now, I don't, I don't mean that in a joking way. I mean, it kind of is, but it's not. Most of us know the Ten Commandments, right? If I were to say, give me the Old Testament Ten Commandments. You may not do them in order, but we the church to come up with them. If I were to say to you, give me ten of Jesus' commandments, how long would it take you to come up with them? Some of them. Right? I, I'll be truthful. I put myself on the chopping block. I was like, I can, I could name two or three. Then I was like, thinking, thinking, thinking. Name one, thinking, thinking, thinking. I was like, what did Jesus actually teach? <laughs> I mean, it's probably important if Jesus actually said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Okay. So, and that's funny because Dan actually uh, had the same issue. He's like, he taught on this passage before me in his church because they're ahead of us. And he said, man, if we have to obey Jesus' commandments, I probably should do a sermon series on what Jesus' commandments were. Let me just give you 10. These are, these are not exhaustive, but they're just 10. Um, you are to love God. Two, hate your family. Three, love your enemies. Four, repent. Uh, five, forgive with no limit. Six, be perfect as your Father, Heavenly Father is perfect. Uh, seven, no divorce. Eight, accumulate treasures in heaven. Nine, deny what the self wants. Ten, display good God in your good conduct. Those are all teachings from Jesus to the disciples. Now, those are all sermons. Because if I were to say to you, what does it mean to display God in your good conduct in terms of how you live your life? You'd be like, well, I think I know, but to exhaustively know is different. So just some things to think about. And I'd encourage you to listen to Dan's sermon series on that if you uh, would like to know more about that. But here's the second implication. If we have to know Jesus' commandments in order to show love for him, we probably need to discipline ourselves and create space in our lives in order to make this a priority. See, it's important for many reasons, but one of them is that God's way in our lives is not the first and foremost. The first and foremost way for us to live is our own way, our own default, right? God's, God's way is not the natural uh, way for us to go. We always go our own way. The natural default is to obey ourselves and our flesh and take the cues from the world. So because we're wired to naturally go our way, and Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commandments, the only way to get out of our own thinking is to spend time and discipline our lives to learn the commandments of Jesus. And that's important too, secondly, because we live in a culture where Christianity has no relevance. Virtually no relevance. And we will not survive the battle in this world, especially in, our, in Alberta, in Canada, if we're not grounded in this teaching. Um, 
So we're going to have to immerse ourselves in learning and take personal time to do so. Uh, we have group situations in the church, we can do that. We have women's studies on, on certain nights, men's studies. Uh, we have, I, I'd be will, love to meet you one-on-one -on -one for discipleship. Uh, we, but we also have the internet and the library with tons of resources. And we, we've never been in an age where access to God and His truth has been never greater. But again, it takes discipline because all of us face one major issue in our lives. All of us in Okotoks. Um, that's called busyness. I think I've told you this. When people ask me how you're doing, how I'm doing, I never say busy. And the reason was because every time I would talk to people, go, how are you doing? They say, busy, busy, busy. So I made it a habit of myself to never say busy because that's the Okotoks model. model. They're never not busy. And I've never experienced this before. I mean, I, I grew up uh, in the Northwest Territories. Uh, my family's from Scotland. When I go to experience other cultures, other nations, I've never known families and, and, and cultures more... Um, Wearing a badge that busy is good. We love, we like, for this busy, like, you're, I'm, I'm, in this, I'm doing, I'm busy, so I must be doing really good. I've never been in a culture that has been so busy and so hard to pin down for times for coffees, times for relationships, times for everything. It's just absolutely insane. And if that's true, then I know it's going to take tremendous amount of discipline on our own parts to make time to learn the commandments of Jesus. But if he says, I know if you love me, you'll obey my commands, we're going to have to carve out and make time for, for the Lord. We're just going to have to. And again, we're, if we're in a culture where we, we are under pressure to ditch Christianity, and they're not tolerant of Christianity, we're going to have to be grounded in the truths of Scripture if we're going to survive this culture. So the question I would have for you is, and I have to ask myself the same thing, now, where are we at? What disciplines are we going to take in our own lives to ensure that we're going to be able to obey the commandments of the Lord, to learn them and get them in our hearts? How much time per week are we currently dedicating to learning about Him? And what steps are we going to take to change? Second lesson I want to talk to you about in terms of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is a person and not an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is a person and not an impersonal force. Listen to this and look at the pronouns here in verse 16 and 17. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever that is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him nor know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Look at verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Uh, I was in a Bible study with Lauren Schultz. This is going back about nine years ago. Actually, more than that, it's about 10, 10, 11 years ago now. And I was just new to the Christian faith. I don't even think I was a Christian at the time, but I was in this study nonetheless. So maybe it's more than that. It's probably about 12, 12, 13 years ago. But I'm in this story, and I make this statement, and uh, there was another guy there, not Lawrence, another guy that was a guest, but he's got a strong personality, and I'll tell you what happened. I basically, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, and I said, yeah, something, something, it. It, uh, it does this or it does that. And the guy turns to me and goes, just so you know, Andrew, the Holy Spirit's not an it. 
He goes, it's a he. And I was kind of offended at the time because uh, I had got a little bit of pride and I didn't like the way he kind of publicly kind of rebuked me within the Bible study. But I guess I was mad because actually I knew he was tr right. <laughs> but I was referring to the Holy Spirit like it does this and it does that and it is this and this is that. And he said, no, it's a he. Isn't it, isn't it interesting that Jesus here, you look at all the pronouns, he, him, he, him, he, him. And so anyone who teaches you that the Holy Spirit is like an impersonal force, like the part of the universe, it's absolutely garbage. He is part of the Trinity. He is part of the Godhead. He is much as a person as God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. The, uh, in the New Testament, it actually reveals that the Holy Spirit has attributes of personhood. I'll read these to you. I'll give them to you later if you want them. But 1 Corinthians 2.11 tells us that the Spirit has an intellect. He knows the thoughts, and, the thoughts of God. In Romans 8.27, he says he has a mind. He's able to think. In John 14.26, we're going to see here, he teaches. Well, an impersonal force can't teach. Only a person can teach. In Acts 5.3, he's someone that can be lied to. Uh, Roger did Ananias and Sapphira. They were lying to the Holy Spirit. You, you can't lie to a rock or the universe. You can lie to a person, though. And he says, you, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. Acts 16.6, he can lead and direct. Yeah, Paul was prevented from traveling to one area to go to another. Those of us doing Philippians know about that in Acts. In John 16, we'll see this later, he can convict you of sin. Again, so you can see that the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. We can learn from John that, he, that the, pers the Holy Spirit is a person and is reflected with, with attributes of personhood throughout the, Old, the New Testament. The third thing you want to learn about the Holy Spirit from this passage, the Holy Spirit indwells a believer's life. He indwells inside a believer's life. Look at 17b, the second half of 17. He says, um, You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. Notice this. He abides with you now, but there'll be a change. In the future, He will be in you. So there's a change from how the Holy Spirit's operating then to how He will operate in the future. In the Old Testament, uh, the, the power and the presence and activity of the Holy Spirit was something known to the Jewish people and the disciples. And the way the Holy Spirit would work in the Old Testament was He would come upon people to empower them or anoint them for ministry to perform tasks or speak on behalf of God. So I'll give you examples of this. This occurred especially in the leadership roles within Israel. You'll remember this when I tell you. In 1 Samuel, when Saul became king, the Holy Spirit came upon him and empowered him for the kingship of the ministry of Israel. And it was uh, the prophet who was, um, who, who was there when this occurred. In Judges, the Spirit would come over Samson in all of his feats of strength. And when he cut his hair, the Spirit left him. Right? He was no longer empowered by the Spirit. And when his hair grew back, that's why he's standing between the pillars, he cries out to God for one more act of strength to defeat the Philistines. And God empowers him through the Spirit to push down the pillars. King David was empowered by the Holy Spirit. So when these prophets and these kings were empowered by the Holy Spirit to do acts on behalf of God in the Old Testament. 
But the, but the key was this, they would, they would empower them and then leave. Empower them and then leave. Now there were exceptions, I can't remember where they all are, but there is a couple exceptions where it seems like this, the power of the Spirit was permanent in a couple of people, but that is definitely not the norm. So Jesus' promise to the disciples is different. He's saying that this indwelling was going to come in you, going to be reside in you, and it was going to be permanent. It was going to be permanent. Um, this was not going to be a come and go type of thing. You, you see that? He says um, verse 16, I will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. Forever. There was a permanence to the Spirit's staying within the believer's life. Now this change in terms of how the Spirit operated occurred in Acts. And those of you who know Acts well, in the first couple of chapters, you see the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost, and then the Holy Spirit indwells believers permanently from that day forward. So here's a cool thing. You may not know this, or you may know this. Those of you who have given your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit currently, supernaturally, lives inside you today. And if you're an Old Testament believer, that would not have been the case. Ephesians 1 um, speaks about this. Um, it's kind of a cool verse. He says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those of who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. So the cool thing is, it says, at the moment that you heard the message of truth and you received it, God gave you the Holy Spirit as a seal to promise and guarantee your inheritance into glory. That's a kind of a cool verse. So the question is, where is He located? Is He in your blood? Is He in your bones? <laughs> right? Where is He in your body? Well, I think you're a pretty smart group of people. Um, it's pretty obvious he's located in our minds. The Holy Spirit comes to indwell the mind of a believer. Which leads me to my final and last uh, lesson from the scriptures here. But it's going to take the longest to flesh it out. It's the fourth point, and it's a bit longer of a lesson. But it's um, necessary. The primary role of the Holy Spirit is to function as an internal mind counselor to remind believers of the implications and applications of Jesus' teachings. The primary role of the Holy Spirit is to function as an internal mind counselor to remind believers of the implications and applications of Jesus' teachings. Look at verse 16 and 17 again. I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of Truth. Verse 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things I said to you. So a couple of observations you need to understand. In terms of understanding the Holy Spirit as in the role of being a helper or a counselor. And how this works internally in your mind. This is kind of cool. This is stuff that sort of makes me enjoy the scriptures and enjoying studying. I want to, there's a little key word there that Jesus says in verse 16. He says, he will give you another helper. In Greek, there's two words for the word another. In English, there's one word for another. Okay, But in Greek, there's two now this is kind of neat. The two words are alos, which is another of the same kind. 
or, uh, and that, or heteros, which is another thing of a completely different kind or nature. So I'll give you an example. Of, uh, in Greek, if you said another of the same kind, you, it'd be like the parables in Matthew 13. Uh, if you look, there's a, Jesus teaches a few parables in a row about the kingdom of God. And he gives one parable, and then he says, the next phrase after the first parable is, um, Jesus presented another bar- parable saying. Then he presents that one, and the next parable says, Jesus presented another parable saying. But here's the thing, the word there is alos. It's a parable of exactly the same kind, because it's speaking about the nature of the kingdom of God. But in the word heteros, being another thing of a completely different nature, is something where it's, it's a, in contrast to, it's another thing. Uh, and that's uh, evident in Paul in Galatians 1, 6-7. Paul has given the Galatians the gospel, the pure gospel of Christ. False teachers have come in and they're presenting a different or another heteros gospel. A gospel different than they received. Uh, same with uh, Stephen's address to, in Acts. When Stephen goes and he presents the gospel to the Acts in Acts, he actually says, um, uh, Moses, or sorry, when Joseph was in, in town in Egypt, there was a Pharaoh there, but later on another Pharaoh came in who did not know Joseph. So he's a Pharaoh, but he's, a, he's another kind of Pharaoh, he's a heteros Pharaoh. He did not know Joseph. <coughs> so here's the cool thing about another helper. Guess which word of another in Greek Jesus is referring him to, referring to as himself. Alos or heteros? Alos. The Holy Spirit is going to be another of the same kind as Jesus. Another of the same kind as Jesus. In other words, the Holy Spirit was going to function in the disciples' lives in the future in the same way Jesus had just done presently for three years. The same role, same function. He's going to continue in the work of Jesus even though he was going to be gone. So what was that role? Well, he was to be another helper. Some translations, you might have counselor, some have comforter. In verse 17, he's given the title Spirit of Truth. And in verse 26, he's given the the definition of teacher. He's going to be the teacher. Here's a key observation that you don't want to miss then. Notice that the Holy Spirit's role, because this is often discussed in the church, what does the Holy Spirit teach you? What does he bring to, to the table? Notice the Holy Spirit's role here that Jesus said was not to bring them new revelation after he was gone. It's not new revelation, something they'd never heard before, something they hadn't seen before, experienced before. It was things that they'd heard and experienced in the past that they'd already received. I mean, that's, it's clear in verse 26. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Not bring to, bring to the table something new you've never heard before, new truths. These are all past teachings. Right? Jesus didn't say, after I'm gone and the Holy Spirit comes, He will continue to teach you new truths that, you, that are unbeknownst to you. He said, no, I'm gonna, the Spirit's role is to bring back all that I've said to you. So the Holy Spirit's role was to be creative. Sorry, not to be creative, but to be recreative. Or not to be an innovator, but a regurgitator. <laughs> Alright? It's significant to understand this. Because Jesus' ministry lasted for only three years. From the beginning of the, the, they were cho- chosen to the end of their time was a three years. In other words, the Holy Spirit's job, role, was to bring back to remembrance everything they learned in three years of Jesus' ministry. 
than how to live that out now in the applications of their lives. These guys didn't get it all, right? It's obvious they missed it over and over with Jesus. They didn't understand half the things he was saying, the significance of them. So the Holy Spirit's role after Pentecost was to say, remember those things Jesus said to you? I know you didn't understand them now, but let me help you remember what he said, and let me help you work through how to live them out in your life now today. So with Jesus gone, the Holy Spirit was going to act in the exact same way. The difference was, instead of having an external teacher, he used to be an internal teacher. Why is this so important? Well, these guys are going to leave the church one day. They're going to be responsible for Christianity and teaching the truth of Christianity and the the explosion of the, the gospel throughout the world. What they were taught, understood and remembered, would become the foundation for the church's source of truth talk to all generations from there on in. So if they got it wrong, Christianity was going to be in a lot of trouble. So Holy Spirit's role was incredibly important. But this is another massive application for us. How many of you guys have had an argument with people or a discussion about whether the Bible is reliable, trustworthy, accurate? Okay, all the time, right? Okay, the Bible is under attack, mistrusted, unreliable from the culture's point of view. That's because they don't understand the power of the Holy Spirit and the role of the Spirit in passing down Scripture. Let me explain from these verses alone, from 26, how the Bible came into existence. Just using verse 26 alone. Okay? God revealed truth to Jesus Christ. Throughout the book of John, you've heard this said over and over. Jesus will say to the people, I'm not speaking on my own initiative. I'm speaking from words that I've heard from the Father. And he says, just so you know that I'm not alone in this, I only speak what the Father gives me. We've seen this through John. He always testifies that these words are from God. These words are from God. So Jesus has got words directly from God. He comes down to earth and in in the form of a man and starts teaching the disciples these truths for three years. He dies, resurrects. The disciples later on get the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit now helps them remember and understand the implications and applications of things they've learned for three years and they start writing them down. And they go into these letters that eventually become the scriptures. So here's the thing. If the Holy Spirit is someone that's not going to um, lie to you and, and is going to help you remember the teachings of Jesus, then that's why we can trust the scriptures and trust that the Bible is true. Because the Holy Spirit's job was to bring to remembrance all that Jesus had taught them for three years. They're not making it up. They don't even understand it. The Holy Spirit was helping them understand it. So when they wrote it down, it was actually true. So the people who say the Bible can't be trusted, it's mistrusted, it's unreliable, I'd say, I know you believe that because you do not understand the role of the Holy Spirit and the supernatural power he gives the believer. <laughs> and that is what, that's part of what it is to be a Christian. And Peter talks about this. He says in 2 Peter 1.20, But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. That's why the Scriptures can be trusted. These guys weren't making it up. The Spirit of God was leading them through the, the, the remembrance of all the three years ministry and helping them get it right. So we can trust the scriptures. We can trust the scriptures. And um, to not trust the scriptures is actually an attack on the Trinity. Right? If you, don't, if you think the Holy Spirit 
isn't trustworthy, you're attacking the Trinity of God. Okay, let's finish with this. this. We see the importance of the Holy Spirit in the disciples' lives and how He was to function. How does this apply to us? Does He still do this today? Does He bring back to remembrance all that Jesus has taught us? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. The Holy Spirit's role in our lives is to actively bring to our minds the significance of Jesus' teaching so that when we are faced with different situations, we are given the option of embracing His way over our own. Right? When we are faced with life situations and we can go left or right or stand at a crossroads, and especially in the areas of sin, God comes to us through the Holy Spirit and says, I got a better way for you. I got a better way for you. you here's an option for you. And we have the choice to embrace it or not. I like the way Leon Morris said it. The role of the Holy Spirit as our counselor is to suggest true reasonings to our minds and true courses for our lives. I'll give you an example because you're probably wondering I still don't fully follow you how does this play out in my own life okay in Luke chapter 6 Jesus taught us this you are to love your enemies and and you're to be kind to ungrateful and evil people ever heard that teaching from Jesus in Luke 6 love your enemies be kind to ungrateful evil people because God is so you're at work and you're in a cubicle and you hear or in the lunchroom whatever and you hear co-workers gossiping about you. Everything in your flesh demands justice. Everything does. So you start heading into that lunchroom or that cubicle to tear a strip off of that co-worker. And as they're about to do so, the Holy Spirit says, uh-uh-uh, don't do that. Um, Andrew, uh, there's a better way for you to handle this. What is that, Lord? Well, I know you want to hear this, but... Um, you're to love your enemies and be kind to ungrateful and evil men because God was, did that for you. Or I've done that for you. Yeah, but I, I want justice. I know, so do I. I did too. But I didn't get it. Oh, I did get it, but it's through my son. I got it through my son. So I want you to act like me and be merciful and kind to ungrateful men. Don't go in there and lose your cool. That's the spirit. There's a battle inside to obey your flesh, but God gives you to the spirit this this option to choose and he gives you the free will to allow to make a decision and Jesus says if you obey the spirit's voice you will obey my commands and I know you will love me <laughs> and of course God gave me the greatest test of all yesterday around 7 o'clock at night because I was studying for this just to prove a point and to test me and um, I, I, I wish she was here but she wouldn't mind because she started laughing at this but I'm in the car yesterday with Janice, and uh, I'm a bit behind in sermon prep, and so I asked Janice to drive to Calgary so that we could go look at this kitchen table off of Kijiji, and uh, we're heading there, and um, I'm actually teaching her what I'm going to teach you guys today, and I'm going through the Holy Spirit and how he works in the Beaver's life, and Janice is doing a couple things in the car that's just driving me a little bit crazy, that I just feel a little bit endangered, a little bit frustrated. And I went, during, during, the, during the drive, I even went, I put my notes on, I went like this, oh man, like I just like grabbed my head and I was like, because we're going through these lights and I was like this. And, and she burst out laughing and she said to me, she goes, uh, she goes, um, oh, what did she say to me again? She burst out laughing and she basically made a joke about that I was to obey the Holy Spirit and that I, she recognized this need for me to take a strip off of her, but how dare I, considering what I was teaching her in the car. <laughs> and she burst out laughing and goes, I know you must be driving you crazy right now. I'm like, mm. 
Yeah, kind of, a little bit, yeah. Right? So, I mean, that's what God does to me. He always humiliates, He always humbles me when I have to teach a lesson. But that's the thing. Without the Holy Spirit, a husband would do this, guaranteed. Like, what in the, are you doing? And are you stupid? Don't you know how to drive? Blah, 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 blah. And as husbands, as Christians, we may have even done that in the shortness of our temper. But you won't get away with it as a Christian. Because even if you do do it, the Holy Spirit will bug you and bug you and bug you until you make it right with your wife. As a non-Christian, you're left alone. You'll feel guilty, but you won't do anything about it. You won't do anything about it. You'll just pass it off as nothing and it creates another wall in your marriage. But if you obey God in that moment, you'll listen to the Spirit and you will not respond to your wife. And so, man, there was a fight in my spirit for everything to keep my mouth closed when I when Jeannie was doing this. But and it was funny, like I had the Bible open in my lap and I still almost forgot to obey the Spirit's voice, even in those moments. And all of you guys have been there. You you wives with your husbands. Uh, you husbands with your wives, you parents with your children, you brothers and sisters amongst each other, in terms of how you relate to one another, you always want to justify your flesh and explode. But Jesus in the Spirit says, be gentle and deny what the self wants. Okay, and finally, I'll leave you with this. So here's the thing. As a believer, if the Holy Spirit is going to take the role of teacher in yours and my life, and lead us into truth and the implications and applications, it's probably important, again, back to the first lesson, that we know more of God's way. Pretend Jesus' teaching is a filing cabinet. So three years of ministry, the entire, every, every word of Jesus is a filing cabinet. Okay? And you're, you as a Christian go into the cabinet and you pull out three folders. There's a thousand folders in there but you pull out three. That's all the Spirit has to use with you. Right? If Jesus has this much teaching and you have only this many folders and He's going to help you remember all that Jesus has taught you, He can only use in your life the amount of the knowledge of Jesus' teachings you have. If ten years later, you're filing, the file as you grab out of the cabinet move from three to five hundred, now as you walk through life, Jesus can use five hundred files of His teaching to help you walk through life. So you often ask, well, why do Christians like, do this and do that? Like that's not like how that's not how Christians act. Well, part of the issue, part of the issue is if you're just new to the faith or you've never been discipled, you walk through life with your own ideas as default. It's my way or the highway. And so you're ignorant to what Jesus has taught, but he has taught them the situation you're facing, you just don't know it yet. So the key for us is to, is to get into the scriptures, get into the knowledge of God, get into His Word, know His commandments and the implications and applications, so that the Spirit of God has a lot in our lives to work with. And this goes, so it goes hand in hand. To love Him is to obey Him. You need to know the filing cabinet. And to, for the Spirit to help you walk in a spiritual life, you have to know the filing cabinet. And that's why often as Christians we get into situations we don't know how to react. We're paralyzed in decision-making because we don't actually know potentially what the Word of God says about those issues, and so we, we, we don't know. Now, thankfully, we have a community of believers, and that's where uh, we go to one another for counsel, and people who have more experience and more knowledge in the Word can help us. But you can see and probably relate to, as you've grown in your faith, how uh, you don't get sort of stuck in, or the Spirit has helped you mature in certain areas that used to be issues for you in your lives as you've grown in the knowledge of His Word. So again, it comes back to, this like the loving Him, 
and obeying his commands, we have to make regular time to immerse ourselves in the scriptures because the Holy Spirit's not going to have a lot to work with unless we, we start to learn about the Word of God. So we need to pump up our devotion to Christ. And uh, we're disciplined in many areas of our lives. But for some reason, when it comes to the spiritual aspects, we often become lazy. And I'm, I'm no exception. Just because I prepare sermons doesn't mean that I'm uh, necessarily disciplined in my time and my own personal devotions. So this is as much a struggle for me as anyone. But again, you can see that the, necessary, the necessity to love Jesus and the necessary for the Spirit to work in your life is foundational upon our knowledge of the Scripture. There's a ton more to be said. And uh, again, chapters 15 and 16, we're going to hit more of the Scriptures and more about the role of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I realize there's pieces missing that aren't in here. But just, let's just try to focus the lessons on what was, what's contained within chapter 14. And I'm sure you'll have uh, questions.